Welcome to 2020 Politics War Room with James Carville. I'm Al Hunt. I'm here at American University. Only one other person here, our great producer, Kyle. We are more than six feet apart, however. We are proud partners with the Sign Institute at AU, and we're about the only people on the AU campus uh, right now. Social distancing matters for anyone out there who's listening. We have some really important guests to discuss this crisis in a moment. But first, please subscribe to 2020 Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Today, Deborah and James Fallows are with us. They're among America's foremost public intellectuals. They've written over a dozen books, lived all over the world, and most recently, for four or five years, traveled in a single-engine airplane. Carville, you know I get nervous with three. Uh, you know, all around America to learn and report on communities outside of the national media and the political spotlight. And they came back uh, and wrote a highly acclaimed and bestseller, Our Towns, and came back pretty encouraged. Matter of fact, very encouraged. Deborah, let me start with you. You were encouraged by the vitality that you saw in these smaller towns, Columbus, Duluth, Greenville. This pandemic is going to hit them, too. Maybe not as bad as New York or Seattle but or badly, but it's going to hit them. Do you have any sense of how they're going to respond, what the reaction is going to be? Yeah, thank, thanks, Al. This is interesting. We've been back in touch with a lot of the towns that we visited, tiny ones from 1,400 people to big ones like Columbus, Ohio, with 600,000 people. And um, there's one commonality is that it seems that Aside from the big cities uh, on the coasts, that the, the inland towns or the smaller towns are a bit slower to react and are slower to realize, I should say, that about this pandemic. But once they realized it, once something hit and it became personal, they're really kicking into gear with the same kind of local activity that we, we had seen all during our travels. Um, one, one of the really interesting ones is Ajo, Arizona, population 2400 in this in the Sonoran Desert and as they were I was talking with them yesterday and they said you know now that they realize how serious this is they're doing everything that the big cities are doing in terms of isolating and stuff but there's a difference because they realize they don't have any fallbacks they've got to rely on themselves like they always have been in these times and it makes them real nervous in things like um, will the internet fail will electricity fail which happens often in the summer there. Um, and, and what about our health clinic? They've got nowhere to go except a hospital that's 80 miles away if the health clinic runs into trouble. Wow. Um, you know, a, a crisis usually brings us together, but at least some of the early polling has shown a, a bit of a red and blue divide uh, and rep- Democratic governors, with a couple exceptions like Mike DeWine in Ohio and Larry Hogan in Maryland, uh, Democratic governors like Cuomo have been far more uh, aggressive and I would say forthright on 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 this. Uh, you were in Greenville. I know my wife went down with you for I thought it was a terrific uh, PBS piece on your travels to Greenville. So you're talking to people down there. Do you see any of that red blue divide or local communities uh, uh, oblivious uh, to that? I would say that we we are seeing the same thing that we saw during our travels before the whole world changed, which is that um, while people may p- differ politically on their beliefs, 
when it comes to doing things locally, it's beyond that. It's a step beyond politics, red or blue, Democrat or Republican or, or whatever, that people realize that the buck stops with them and that they're going to get something done. They, they are just going to do it together. And politics has always been a background issue in, in um, the kind of activity locally that we've seen. Jim, you can correct me. No, don't you dare. Don't you dare do that, Jim Fallows. But, but <laughs> no, but, but. <laughs> uh, uh, w- w- wise answer, Al. That, that's, uh, as we all know, there, there is a secret to longstanding marriages, which I think everybody on this podcast uh, understands. You guys have been married for almost 50 years, so stick with it, Jim. <laughs> we, that is true. Yes, thank you. We're, we're still get, getting started. I know Deb is, of course, exactly right. Um, and also... <laughs> And also, it's the case that that um, as she says that that when your your attention is concentrated with what's going to happen to a city, we've seen you know not the kind of of partisan uh, divide that is so uh, typical in D.C., but the practicality. Uh, just as Deb's been talking with people in Ajo and Columbus, I've been focusing a lot on Erie, Pennsylvania, recently, where where they have a very clear case of a general tendency. The clear case is that the salvation of a lot of these struggling cities in the last four or five years has been small businesses. It's been little shops, little restaurants, little breweries, little nonprofit organizations, all these things which have moved into downtown and helped to bring back to life cities have been having trouble. And of course, these are exactly the institutions that are worst hit right now. You know, there are layoffs of 80 percent, 90 percent of the staff in a lot of these these organizations. And I was really impressed talking with people in Erie about a whole new plan they have. If you, if you had a locally conscious uh, revival program at the state level, the federal level, et cetera, what it would be. And so I think that that a a positive sign of a really, really dark moment is people thinking People who've spent the last decade thinking, how can old industrial cities recover from the 2008 collapse? They're now thinking, they're using that knowledge to think, what can we do now when all of our small businesses that have saved us are all in this kind of nuclear winter, and how can we bring them back? And that's, uh, uh, that, that is that a, is a, a necessary next step. Well, Erie has my friend Tom Hagen there who's lending the hand, I'm sure. He, he's, he's had a lot to do with that. Yes, yes. This is my question for, for, for yep. both of you. All of these places and places that you haven't been to, there's a, there's a leader. There's somebody that's respected. It might be a doctor. It might be a coach. It might be a principal. It might be a cleric, you know, or business person. And it, we should have a – we need a massive propaganda campaign, and we have to – enlist people across this country who are like respected in their own communities to help with the politics. We have a public health crisis here that we got to push out that. Either you see any value in trying to, and they they can do through technology and other things, identify local leaders and, and band them together to also have a local public health message. So James, I think that is Exactly right, and exactly the next next step. And let me just use two national level examples, and then uh, pivot to the local people in D.C. over the decades. Have of course, known who Anthony Fauci is, and now the entire world know, knows who he is, and he's become essentially the moral and intellectual leader 
of the the, the response to, to the virus right now, as long as he can uh, maintain his, his position. I think at the, the, the state level, having nothing to do with party politics, Governor Cuomo in New York has been doing something similar too. And I think there are people like that around the country and, you know, without having had, <laughs> without being cued by our conversation right now, exactly what Deb and I are planning to do starting, you know, now on the Atlantic side and other, other media that we have is to identify some of these people, try to connect them. For example, I've been talking with a guy named Josh Friday in California, who's in charge of the whole sort of CCC type, you know, using a New Deal reference, uh, Youth Service Corps in California, trying to put them to work, connecting him with some, with a guy um, uh, named Greg Behrman with a group called Nation Swell and a few other organizations that are thinking creatively about how they can respond. So, uh, James, from from your your lips to our fingers. We're going to be typing about this for the foreseeable future, trying to identify these people. I'm not sure like people in Hattiesburg really listen to Dr. Fauci all the time. Probably a lot of them don't know who he is. And, and, but there's somebody in Hattiesburg, or there are five people in Hattiesburg. And it's, got, you know, it's probably an African-American leader, maybe someone in southern Mississippi, maybe it's a, the respected doctor. I have no idea. Brett Favre. I've heard some interesting things that are happening on the local level, and it's not necessarily a single person like the mayor or the Chamber of Commerce or a teacher who's stepping up, but it's people who are stepping up in their own little areas of power or influence or expertise. In Back to Ajo, Arizona, um, which is not a really connected place. They kind of think of themselves as being off the grid. Um, there is one grocery store in town and they printed up flyers on, on the whole COVID-19, everything that you should possibly want to do or note about it. And they put it into every single grocery bag that went home with people. And so that was, that was a way of connecting with the entire town that was very simple, but very effective because everybody shopped at that grocery store. Um, similarly, in, in Eastport, Maine, which has a, a very fabulous small town paper. They have regular updates on what you should know today. Here's what's going on. Here's the important stuff. And everybody reads that paper. So there are these ways of, of connecting to um, practically across the whole community in, in small areas that are happening. So I, I, I'm really a believer in, in leadership in these various different silos and people who are in those communities know best um, how to handle it because they, you know, they know they know the um, the whole skeletal and uh, intervenous system of the town and how to get there. One thing about Hattiesburg, James, just to interrupt, Hattiesburg, actually, were there last year. That is an interesting place where they're developing that kind of local leadership. They have a young mayor named Toby Barker, who is quite an impressive, uh, popular. He's yeah, young, I met him. I know Yeah, him. and they have a medical center there. And so I think that, that Hattiesburg is the kind of place where we have in mind where having local leadership will uh, will do something. So sorry to interrupt. Well, good. I, pull, I pulled one out of my ass here. <laughs> uh, let, let, let me, uh, John Barry, the, the, the great historian of the 1918 influenza, is, is a good friend of mine. And he called me. He was very excited because the New York Times took his op-ed piece. Of course, it was brilliantly done and accurate and everything else. And he said, you know, that he, he, he said, you know, I went on Breitbart. What do you think? And I said, you're 10 times more effective on Breitbart than the New York Times. Everybody that reads the op-ed piece 
page of the New York Times knows about social distancing and washes their hands. And I'm, I'm working on a piece, and it's called It's the Stupid People, Stupid. It, it, because all of us, not, not but what you and Deb do is, is something remarkable and different, but 98% of the people we know just talk to each other. And that's not going to work in a public health crisis. Uh, yes, I, I entirely agree. And I think as as both of you well know from your reporting and your, your political life, uh, probably the most important next step to make in alliances is faith organizations around the country, because they really do, although they tend sometimes to be segregated by race and by political view, they are the great connective fabric of a lot of, of the kind of America that, that you're talking about reaching. And we found over the last year or two and going around the country that these are, again, even though a, even though Liberty university is, is, uh, defying the, the sort of, uh, the orders from the governor of Virginia about, about distancing and all the rest, we found most faith organizations to be open-minded about local, locally responsible activities. And I, I bet that would be the next place for the message to be directed and conveyed. That would be encouraging. Look, I, I think a lot of what you have told us, Eastport and Erie, Hattiesburg, that, that certainly is encouraging. But in a national crisis, I think you would agree, Jim, we, we need national leadership. I mean, FDR and the depression and the war. And, 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 and as much as I thought the Iraq war was terrible, at least right after 9-11, I think that George W. Bush um, uh, uh, supplied that. We're not getting that now. We have a president who denied it for uh, seven or eight weeks, called it a democratic hoax a few weeks ago, now saying, you know, it's more important to get back to work. We, we, we have to pay a price for that, don't we? Uh, we are paying that price. And as we all have discussed over the years, in every presidency, there's something that nobody expected that that president has to deal with out of nowhere. And whether it was 9-11, the most dramatic case, or you know, for every presidency, there, there is that situation. This And it had been remarkable that that had not happened during Donald Trump's time. There were problems, but not a catastrophe. We're having a catastrophe now, and his manifold limits in empathy and ability to appeal to the entire country and view of expertise are are part of the problem the U.S. is dealing with at this moment. And so I guess all we can hope is that other parts of the system will will uh, reduce the damage. But I, my, my trademark optimism does not expand, extend to thinking that he's going to uh, do a better job than he has done so far. Yeah, I told a friend the other day, I said, he's the anti-Ike. And I said, what do you mean he's the anti-Ike? One of my, I, I think w one of the great letters that I have read from a public figure was Dwight D. Eisenhower on the eve of D-Day uh, writing a memo that if Operation Overlord failed, it was his fault alone. These were brave young men and they went into a noble cause and it failed and it's my responsibility and my fault. Trump is the absolute opposite. He bears no responsibility, he says, for any of this. Uh, and I, I think that, I, I think it was, it was Deborah Jim, one of you mentioned Andrew Cuomo earlier. That contrast is remarkable. Uh, it, it certainly is. And, and, that, that, and to interrupt again for a second, as, as you were both saying before, that many governors of both parties are trying to play that role. I guess, you know, I think De Governor DeWine in Ohio has been the leader among Republicans, but also Governor Baker in Massachusetts. And so I think maybe there'll be some osmotic effect on governors to, to become leaders in the absence of national leadership.
my own theory is we need a, a massive propaganda campaign on public health. And you know, I go back and you study the Committee on Public Information during World War One. They had 77,000 people that stood up and gave a four-minute patriotic speech as they were changing the reels in movie theaters. Right? I mean, it was a massively successful propaganda campaign. World War II, George, the great George C. Marshall bought Frank Capra in his office to produce propaganda films, Why We Fight. Right? It, it, at any time when you're at war, propaganda can be a tool for good. Were there excesses? So we know, was the, did the CPI go over the board sometimes? Yeah. Did Roosevelt go over the board? Yeah. Did Lincoln go over the board? Yeah. But I, I think I think you got you got immediate action and then clean it up after. But but right now I just don't see that that massive public health initiative that we need to try to put the breaker on this thing. Yeah, it, you know when Jim and I are watching um, the the so-called press press briefings every day, we've often started to say to each other how reminiscent it is it is of our days in China when we would be propagandized all over the place because that was the only thing that you'd hear in, in the public in the public domain. And and it it um it just kind of it was fi- is spine chilling to hear day after day um a message that is untrue and disturbing and that you could see right through. But if, you know if you hear if enough people hear it enough times, it feels like it might be true or at least push people in the, in a certain direction. Yes, I entirely agree. We we've, we have this bad propaganda that we've heard for the last you know ten days or so out of the White House, and and the good kind of public service message that different times in American history has has come out. I agree entirely with what you're saying, James. I guess it's worth thinking it's only been about two and a half or three weeks that this has been in the forefront of public attention as as a crisis. Obviously, the government has known about it for months, but in terms of public attention, it's only been a matter of, of, of a couple of weeks. But it, sh- it is about time for the people who are expert at at the right kind of public information, the people in Hollywood, the people who are, uh, when Tom Hanks comes out of quarantine, he will be the guy to, he and his wife, Rita Wilson, to, to say, okay, here's what I've learned by having this disease. Here's what we need to do. He's the most trusted person in America right now. So uh, if you all have connections with Tom Hanks, as we don't really, we urge you to have him be the Frank Capra of the year ahead. Well, I, I, what I think is, is that they ought to go to the people at Pornhub or YouPorn and say, before you can enter this site, <laughs> you have to listen to a 30-second propaganda public health message. Then you would start reaching people, right? I'm serious. <laughs> and and there, 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 there's a betting market for March on how many clicks that Pornhub gets. And the over-under is $3 billion. <laughs> So if you go there, you, you, until, until you have Tom Hanks show you how to wash your hands and show you what six feet spacing is, you can't do it. <laughs> I, I, I do that to these betting sites. To, I, don't, I don't know, you know, all these uh, uh, video games. I have no idea what these people are. But why these tech people need to come in and, and put it there where it's going to reach people at, at a, a granular level. And what we need to do with these recalcitrant clergy people, make a donation to the building fund. They'll come around. Yeah. (laughs) They'll come around. Well, also, Deb, if we can combine the churches and the porn sites, uh, you know, we might have most of America. 
But, yeah, what about the white nationalists? We got to go to them too. Go to the Klan site. Go to the I don't know the, the fine people at Charlottesville site. They're yeah. gonna kill you just as dead as Dr. Fauci's gonna kill you. Yeah. Okay. So here's one other thing that I've been hearing from from people around the country, um, and I'm, I'm not sure quite how to phrase this, but there are two topics that we all know about that people are talking about with much more insistence, and I think a broader, uh, like a bigger microphone. And one is where you don't get internet access. So all these, uh, so many of these small towns are, are internet challenged that people don't get to go on, especially now that the libraries are closed, unless you hang out outside the library. So you're not gonna go onto those on, on sites. The other thing, so maybe a good outcome is well, that will become more part of, uh, more insistent nationally. The other thing is, Everybody talks about the feeding stations, which is a terrible word, but having kids get fed in schools, as we all know they do, becomes kind of anonymous and you forget about it and it just, you know, it's not part of people's radar. But now every town is struggling with that. Big towns or little towns. How are you going to feed these kids? And they really do rely on that. And they're so, you know, everybody's going out to get there to go grab a, grab bags wherever they're handing them out. But um, I, I just wonder what kind of effect that is going to have on a lot of people because it's so personal who haven't, um, who haven't met, who haven't really thought about, well, either you haven't met it because you're not part of it or you don't see it every day. You're glad your kid gets fit in school, but suddenly you have to go out of your way to get that food. Um, it's it, so that issue, I think it's going to become bigger. And I think it, it is maybe a way to reach people also. Yeah, that's really important, Deb, because I, I suspect that that, well, I, I think what Congress is doing this week is necessary. I'm sure there are all kinds of flaws in anything they do this quickly, but getting money out to people is really, really important and unemployment benefits out to people. But it's going to be weeks before they get that. And there are a lot of kids who may go hungry in those in those uh, three or four weeks because uh, that 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 school lunch and school breakfast programs are huge in a lot of communities. Yeah. And town by town, they're they're figuring it out because they're still getting that food and um, but it's it's you know it's it's suddenly more complicated and cumbersome and I'm sure that there's a lot falling through the cracks and everything like that. There ought to be an organization that has pub- people that know something about public health and say if you, you go to a local TV station in, in Erie because that seems to be a place we're talking about a lot or, or a talk radio in Erie and said we have a we have a we have Dr. So and So he's the dean of the Penn State Law School, All right? I mean not law medical school and and. Put him in a studio, and, and, and this is Talk Radio Erie, you know, 106.5 on your dial. We got Dr. So-and-so of the Hershey, Pennsylvania, you know, medical center. What, what were we doing here, doctor? You got to pump that stuff out at every level, and, I'm, I'm, and even, like, don't forget, you know, Latino radio, African-American radio, wherever people gather, somebody has got to do a giant propaganda campaign and get people from the studios into people's homes. It's something now that all of these foundations have to get together. It's not going to happen. There's no orders coming from headquarters. We've got to get over that. They're not coming. So what you do is you do what happened at the Battle of Chattanooga. If the whole thing, the northern flank wasn't working, the southern flank wasn't working, and Arthur MacArthur took his regiment and started charging, and aide looked at Grant and says, who ordered those soldiers up there? Uh, and he said, nobody, General. They just went. <laughs> yeah. All right? 
We had Missionary Ridge here, yeah. people. <laughs> Grab your piece. Let's go. <laughs> so, so, James, can I ask you a question? Are you writing, writing sure. this action plan someplace? Because what you say... Ma- uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've sent a thing to the head to the 10 largest foundations. And I've got another thing I'm trying to get placed to say, the people that read the Atlantic do not need convincing. All right? They all know. The people that read the New York Review of Books, I see it, and it's, and it's, it's, it's nice, it's patriotic, they're, they're taking down the paywall, all right? Good. That, what's the plan to, to, to tell somebody that doesn't know? Because that's just the way that, that this virus works. I mean, I, it, 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 people say, well, the racists, they, 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 who cares? Who, who gives a shit? Doesn't matter. And there's somebody to listen to. And if I was Bloomberg, and I was, I'd go out and bribe people. I'd do, I'd do whatever you got to do. <laughs> well, James, you know, you and I have discussed this. Uh, when, when there was the terrible crisis um, in, in, in Haiti, um, uh, George Bush and Bill Clinton, Barack Obama's president, got together and started a huge relief fund. Uh, Obama was secure enough that he wasn't threatened by that. Uh, I, I don't know if 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 I, I agree with you. I think you know, reaching the churches, reaching the poor sites, reaching the local leaders—that's really really cr- uh, crucial. But I wonder if I think, and you have have brought this up: if a Clinton and a Bush and an Obama uh, couldn't couldn't get together with some kind of whether we call it propaganda or a message or whatever have you. I, I, that's okay. I mean, they, they, they don't, I know they don't have anything to do because I'm sure you they don't have any paid speeches because <laughs> it's kind of sparse out there, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't, I guess they could, but I, I, I think this thing has got to be more granular. It's got to be more, we, we got to do this thing from, from the bottom up. And, you know, if they do something, maybe the current occupant might push back. And, and, and people say, well, it's, you know, being more political. Just we got to extricate politics and everything from this and focus on public health, hand washing, hygiene, distancing. It's the only tool they got. The only tool that they have until they can come up with, with some medications, until they can come you know, with a vaccine. The, the, the only good news I've seen in this is a, a story in the Post that, that, that it doesn't, so thus far, it has not mutated. So that, that's, that's some good news is if that stays where it is. Now, Dr. Jerry at, at Tulane, who, who discovered, I don't know what you do with a vaccine. Do you discover a vaccine? Do you invent one? I'm not sure what the word is, but the fellows would know. The Ebola vaccine, and he he thinks we're under a year. He he's not a year and a half guy, and he's he's a big high end guy. I recommend Tulane Public Health site for anybody. And uh, you know they they're working furiously on this, but but what we got to do as citizens is we got to give these people time and try to do everything we can to slow this down. Having been a wash in news over the last two weeks, I think what you all have been saying in the last few minutes is the most valuable and useful news I've heard from anybody in quite a while. So I would encourage you to do everything you can you know, with your considerable platforms to, to get these ideas out. And we'll try in our, you know, we've been concentrating on what people are doing in the likes of Greenville and Erie and Ajo and all the rest. But, but your, your strategic plan, I think, really makes sense. So I say uh, get cracking. 
Yeah, and and I think the other point uh, to I think we all agree on is is that when things start to get a little bit better, don't don't get lackadaisical. Don't don't don't. I mean, Hong Kong try that, and it's it's now coming back. This is not going to go away by Easter. Uh, it probably is not going to go away by Memorial Day, and uh, you know whether it's you know everything that has to be done: social distancing, washing hands, uh, testing when we can get the equipment. Uh, uh, just we we have to be relentless about it. And it's much better to be more cautious than than not. Can I just I want to ask both of you one one question about our about the media. Uh, I know both of you have taught courses on the media and journalism all over the world. Uh, and James, let me start. Uh, James uh, Fallows, let me start with you. Uh, Margaret Sullivan in the Post had a piece the other day that the press, the media, cable news primarily, shouldn't be covering these Trump propaganda efforts because it is really misleading people. Uh, ordinarily, you'd say, of course, you cover the president. What do you think? Um, I, I agree with her argument, and uh, that's something I've been saying in tweets and posts for a while. And interestingly, I've gotten a lot of of journalists, you know, maybe. 100, 150 or people who've sort of signed a, a, a list saying they agree with that too. And I think the, the reason is we can see from Donald Trump's point of view, these have become the substitute for the rallies he can't do anymore, where the themes are how great he is, how terrible his critics are, how everybody else is a loser. And so there's that part of his performative art. And the other is just the misinformation that he puts out that only Dr. Fauci has managed to sort of, uh, you know, try to hem back in in, in in real real time. And I think it's it's a they've become just political rallies, which is is unfair. And they become they leave people worse informed than they were if they didn't if they just were watching cartoons or porn or whatever else in, in that time. So if there were a way to I think if it was if it stopped getting live coverage, Trump would stop showing up. And then you could just have the actual experts go on there and give you a health briefing. I, I don't agree with you. Okay. The first thing is Fox and one America network and talk radio and everything would cover it. And then they'd say that they, they think they know more than you. They, they, they're not even covering what our president says. And I think they just just drive it worse. I mean, they, he, and he would, you know, there'd be plenty of Breitbart and everything else would be saying they, they, you know, they don't even let the man speak. And maybe if, if, if the more traditional people can run a crawl, this is not, you know, in real time, they got expertise. He says something, run the crawl under that. This is not the fact. All right. You can do that. But any time that you inject politics in this argument, a third of the country is going to shut down on you. And, and we, we, we can't have that. We can't have that. I know, and I understand precisely and exactly what you're saying. But you know, there's the first rule that you learn in campaigns is the other side plays too. <laughs> yeah, and yep. this is exactly the kind of thing that they would fuel at their donor base and that the number of clicks they get and every everything imaginable. This, this would, in my opinion, this is not. This is smart people talking to other smart people. You got to think like a dumb person. Oh, that's a segue to me here. Okay. Um, Deb, you're not a dumb, per dumb person at all, but you get to weigh in now. <laughs> so, so, so Deb, Deb may be the only one among us who has a PhD. Is that correct? I mean, it's correct about Deb. Is she the only one among us? Oh, 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 that's an easy call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not here. Okay, in my, in my doctor role, I'm throwing this out there. 
every whatever day of the week at 11.45, we get these blasts through the TV that say, you know, the emergency preparedness horn, and it and just kind of throws you out of your seat. Um, if we that is still something that gets people's attention because it's, it's rarely used, flash flood warning, tornado approaching, something like that. If you, somebody could hijack that or use it you know, officially to blast out the message from time to time, wash your hands, stay indoors, uh, and whatever else could be on there because everybody gets their, that message. They have to, and it's a public service message. That's my thought. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. Let me, let me just one more thing about the media, uh, Jim Fallows, because you have written about it so much. Um, I, I, I'm conflicted as to whether, in the long run, the next year, say, this is going to be good or bad for the, um, for the traditional press. It seems to me it's an opportunity. I mean, people have to stay home. They have to do something, and there are those that aren't connected, as Deb said. But a lot of people are. And if they do it smart, they don't cut back too much. They cover it extensively. Uh, you know, it seems to me, you know, World War II, the times flourished because uh, they didn't lost money, but they invested. Uh, on the other hand, the business model already is in trouble, and, and this may even uh, further erode that. What What's your, your view? So I agree with all points of what you're saying. I think journalistically, this is a time where for the media to rise to greatness, and I think a lot of institutions are doing that. I, I know the Atlantic, where I work, has had in the last two weeks by a huge margin the most traffic on its website ever in its history, you know, by like even a factor of two. And, and I think it's just getting a lot of attention, doing a lot of responsible things. But I know not speaking necessarily about our organization, but the digital ad market is just crashing at this moment. You know, that th there was a story in one of the papers recently saying that, that, you know, media in general is finding much more attention and much, much less, less revenue, even than comparison to the past few years. Local media are, of course, in, in terrible shape. So I think this is, highlights the contradictions of the media. We are more and more needed than ever. And I think many doing a good job and in more and more economic uh, distress. And that is one more part of the equation. And to circle back to one other thing, James, you made the most uh, cogent points that you know uh, about why it might backfire to limit um, limit coverage of these these live news uh, news you know the, the briefings rallies, and maybe the answer is to have the kind of real time crawl saying. Trump says the 1918 flu killed half of all the people infected. No, it actually was 2%. And Trump says vaccine is a month away. Actually, it's a year, a year and a half or whatever. So, uh, yes, this is one. The, the media crisis is one more aspect of the crisis. And I have no answer other than, yes, I agree. This has really been incredibly informative. Uh, I mean, you two are just... Uh, you understand this and you understand the country better than most of us. Just any parting thoughts, uh, uh, Deb and Jim? I want you both to get in so we can go for 50 years. Uh, so Deb, <laughs> Deb and Jim Fallows, any, any, any final thoughts? Oh, oh gosh. Um, Jim. Uh, <laughs> and what we're setting up for is uh, I'll say something and Deb will say, actually, <laughs> that will be the beginning. She's got answer. the PhD. <laughs> yes, she does. She, she is. So we have all, speaking now to the four of us, we've been through some 
bad times for the U.S. through our lifetimes, assassinations and war times and economic collapses and political crises. This one is bad in a different way from what we've ever experienced before. I don't know that it is fundamentally worse than what the country has endured before, but it is, I guess it requires all of our attention to figure out the way that, that this real, what has become this, this economic disaster and public health challenge, the way this can bring out what has historically been latent functionality and goodness and unity in the country and it has lain dormant for a while. So that is our, that is our collective goal for the next while to have yet again, a crisis bring out something that is better rather than worse in our, in our nature. I, I, I would just come up with some Pollyanna-ish things, which, which are true, like it's bringing families closer together, et cetera, et cetera. And just, you know, namaste to what Jim says. <laughs> Listen, uh, we can't thank you all enough. This is really, I, I, I want to ask you both if we can, this is not going to go away and you're going to stay in touch with, uh, with Eastport and with uh, Greenville and Duluth. Uh, so uh, I hope you, we can get you back on again. Uh, it's a real honor for us. So thank you and, and get your message out as far and wide and we'll, we'll try to help in that effort too. Uh, James Carvel, let's just for you know four or five minutes before we go politics. Uh, poor, I mean, Joe Biden is in a bind. Uh, nothing he can do, is there? No, no, and he's going to be. I'm not. Other people are. I'm really not worried about winning this election. We're going to win the election if we get to it. And, it, and he can't. He, he can't. He can't have rallies. He can't. He can't do anything. He can sit. And, he can make phone calls. He, they can do a video of him. I don't know how much good it does, but make it feel better. They can they can do that, but there's really not much else you can do. And honestly, if it were up to me, of course, it's not going to happen. Everybody, no one would go along with it. I just suspend all political activity and and till Labor Day or till at, or, or that Dr. Fauci and Dr. Bricks give us the all clear. Well, I would too, but you know, you know someone who won't. Uh, and uh, as you say, both sides get to play, and if only one side plays, that's a problem. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I think he. You know, I, I agree. I agree totally, and it, it, it's just one of these aspirational things. But you know what? I, but my, my view of this is, this ball is moving so fast, and I'm thinking this is Thursday. That a week ago that I drove up here from from Louisiana, and just the. the to the country today is just so much fundamentally different than the country that was a week ago. And we, we stop and think of where it's going to be by Easter. I, I, I mean, James, I went on. I had a Sunday. I had a column that was running in the hill at 1130 a.m. And so at, at 11 o'clock, I phoned in the updated figures on how many cases there were uh, uh, in four days. It more than doubled. I mean, you know, well more than doubled. I mean, that's that's just there were twenty six thousand at eleven o'clock on Sunday morning, and and now there's you know close to sixty thousand. That's the way it's going, and and that's why the messages that you are putting out today, the messages that Jim and Deb Fowles are putting out, uh, are putting out are really really important. 
Uh, I want everybody out there just, you know, be safe, keep your social distance, isolate yourself, don't take any risk. Uh, this thing is real. It's not going to get better uh, for a while. And, um, you know, it is going to get better. But please, please, please listen to what the doctors and the experts are saying. Wash your hands, keep your distance, isolate yourself. Uh, make, you know, we're not going to see our grandchild. That really breaks my heart. Uh, that's, that, that is the teeniest of sacrifices uh, that one can make. Uh, But I want to thank you all for listening to 2020 Politics War Room. And please subscribe, rate, and review. We always ask you to be kind. The podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. For James Carville uh, and from the Sign Institute at American University, I'm Al Hunt. We'll talk to you next week.